0: Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, and as you can tell, the people on our sofa have multiplied since last week.
1: Yes, we went from the two of us, very cozy, and then last week we had three, and now we have four. We're like bunnies. <laughs> uh, it's
0: very scary, but uh, Dr. Velo, are, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Are? you? I'm yes. good. Good. I'm, uh, good.
0: I'm always happy to be here on a Wednesday afternoon, which this is, uh, talking about plastic surgery, and today we have our guests are our plastic surgery, our aesthetic fellows, Dave Steffian and Neil Varanis. Guys, how are you doing?
2: Doing great. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, we're doing great. Great times.
0: Good. Well, it is an honor to to be here just uh, to have you guys in as our fellows, number one, since you went through a huge process to get here, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we want to just kind of hear about why a fellowship. So we talked last week with Dr. Hillary Jenny, who was in from Johns Hopkins, And she told us about what it takes to get to be a plastic surgeon, period, and then why she was exploring a fellowship. I thought she did a really good job.
1: She did a great job. We kind of threw her into the fire, and she did great. So she is a... She she did. She kind of like... (laughs) Kind of like, like I want to spend a
0: week with you guys. (laughs) Great. You're doing a podcast. Sit down.
1: (laughs) But she's a resident. So she did her medical school. Now she's in her residency. She's going to complete that in a year, and then she will be a almost board certified plastic surgeon and at that point she can go out and just practice plastic surgery as plenty of us do Um, but she specifically wants to do a fellowship and she wants to do an aesthetic surgery fellowship and that's why she's here these fine gentlemen surgeons next to me have completed their plastic surgery residencies and are now doing their aesthetic surgery fellowship for a year
0: Yeah, and both of you guys came to us through the match, which we did. We also spoke about last week with Dr. Jenny about how you kind of put down your choices, and a computer does this matching thing, and you wind up getting here. So, uh, Dave, let's start with you. Tell us, you know, again, this is Dr. David Stepien. He is a fully trained and board eligible plastic surgeon, as opposed to Dr. Jenny, who is a resident still training in plastic surgery. He's completed his residency. Where did you do your residency?
3: So, I did my residency at University of Michigan little ways across the country from here, a lot colder, (laughs) Uh, but uh, it's a a really great training program that I had a great time learning a lot at. It's pretty, uh, a pretty intensive training program, uh, very focused on reconstruction, uh, but we did have some really great aesthetic experience between at the university itself. um, And then we also had the opportunity to go over to our private hospital uh, at St. Joe's where we did a lot of aesthetic surgery and I learned a lot about it and that kind of got me started.
0: So if you got into you got a lot of aesthetic surgery experience there what was it for you that said I, I think I should do a fellowship?
3: Well, I kind of thought about it like when you would be on a service in residency, let's say we were on a cranial facial service by the end of two or so months, you were completely locked in to taking care of cleft patients, taking care of little kids, all this stuff. And then you go off service to another thing and then come back and you would have forgotten it all and not be quite locked in. Um, And I really like that feeling of being locked in on these surgeries and those being the ones that I do all the time. And I figured if I was going to go out and work on healthy people changing, you know, what is normal anatomy to whatever my patient's goals were, I wanted to have a lot more experience in doing that specifically in the aesthetic realm. I mean, aesthetics and reconstruction are really closely tied, but I think there's a lot of specifics and nuances in aesthetic surgery that unless you really spend the time doing a lot of it uh, with people who do a lot of it, then you you might miss out on those. And then you're going to have a learning curve of your first few years on your patients of how to get better at aesthetic surgery, whereas... I can join people who do it a lot and avoid that learning curve and be ready to do really high-quality aesthetic surgery for my patients when I'm the attending, and they're my patients.
1: Yeah, I think that that's an excellent reason. I think that's probably the reason many people choose to do the fellowship. Um, just a little bit of a side note explanation. Um, I think a lot of people don't always know that when we say plastic surgery, the majority of what we learn in residency is not the plastic surgery that you see on TV. It's not the aesthetic, you know, breast augmentations and rhinoplasties and tummy tucks. That is a large part of plastic surgery. But in our training, most of what we learn is the reconstruction aspect of plastic surgery, breast reconstruction, fixing bad face smashes and fractures, you know, fixing burns, things that come in, people have had a trauma or cancer or something that's created a defect in their body, and then a plastic surgeon comes in and fixes it, and it's called a reconstruction. And then the aesthetic side is, as you mentioned, a normal, healthy anatomy person that just wants to refine or enhance their features in some way. So that's the aesthetic side of plastic surgery, which is what this fellowship is about. And I think that's just an important distinction because I think the general public doesn't actually know that the majority or a lot of what we do is actually under the reconstruction umbrella.
0: Yeah, they they don't. They they think, well, you must just go from medical school to doing nose Bootsy jobs butts. and,
3: and <laughs> boob jobs and facelifts right away. And that's not really the it's case. It's not really
1: the case. So the aesthetic portion is, is why you guys are here.
3: Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you at University of Michigan, one of the most fought over cases is a breast augmentation. Because so hard it's to get. It's difficult <laughs> actually to get. Yeah your breast augmentation numbers in residency, mainly because people don't come to an academic center to get breast augmentation. They're people from the community or they work at the same place and they're, they're not seeking that kind of operation. So we actually, would struggle a little bit and uh, people who were getting near their graduation time and needed their numbers in breast augmentation would be like, hey man, I saw you got a breast augmentation this week. Can I please get in on that? Well, I'll give you anything. I gotta get it. So. <laughs> Which is so
1: funny if you think that's like the most common plastic surgery procedure. It's always number one. Like what's the most common plastic se- procedure in the United States? Breast augmentation. Yeah. But yeah, I mean we get breast augmentation in other realms of plastic surgery specifically related to breast reconstruction or other genetic problems with breast development. So we learn how to do a breast augmentation, don't get us wrong, we know how to put an implant in under the muscle, we know the specific, we know how to do it, but the aesthetic part of the breast augmentation sometimes needs a little bit of extra refinement, nuance, as you said.
0: Definitely. Yeah. So Dr. Vranus, tell us about you, where did you come from?
2: So I came a little bit further, albeit maybe not as cold as Michigan. I came from New York City. I spent the last six years over at NYU doing residency, finished uh, there, and very similar experience, big hospital. So we have a ton of of well-rounded experience over there, but mostly skewed on the reconstructive side of things, and a lot of breast surgery, but breast cancer, reconstructive surgery or craniofacial after trauma or oncologic cancer reconstruction. Um, a lot of pe- pediatric uh, deformities that we like trained uh, dealing with, but there's in a, to kind of echo what has been said previously. I think that although you can consider two buckets, reconstructive and aesthetic, I think it's a spectrum. And I think some of the aesthetic procedures turn into mini reconstructions. And I think some of the reconstructions actually turn into aesthetic procedures. So I noticed quite a few times the patients would come back over and over and over again for little touch-ups, refinements of breast um, reconstruction, for example, because they definitely wanted to look good. I mean, and as now, you know, breast cancer is a super prevalent problem in our society, but getting diagnosed sooner and patients are... Living through it after the treatments, they want to look good at the end of the day, and it is a little sure. bit of aesthetics. It is big time.
1: We will refer you back to the aesthetic breast reconstruction podcast. <laughs>
0: exactly. Yeah. If, uh, any any of those topics, we've we've covered them. <laughs> that's for sure. And we've covered a lot of reconstructive surgery on this podcast too, because it we we do that. Yeah. You know, we're not we're not uh, we're plastic surgeons. God damn it, we, we do it all. <laughs> we don't. Uh, we're not here just saying, oh, you know, we only do. I mean, I had a kid fly. He was on the podcast, actually. This kid flew from uh, Virginia with a face fracture. He was seen at Georgetown. They were like, oh, I don't know. And his nose was basically telescoped into his face, you know, like way into his face. <laughs> and they were like, I don't know how we're going to get that out of there. You need to find somebody. And, you know, so he flew out. And it was it was a really difficult reconstructive surgery. But that's there's nothing aesthetic per se about that other than he wanted to look normal when it was over. But the maneuvers that need to be performed are not traditional aesthetic mm-hmm. surgery. So this fellowship, I think, you get a little of all of that, especially with the folks that you're working with. We're all oh, yeah. we're all plastic surgeons. We we like doing plastic <clears throat> surgery,
1: right? And our our faculty on this fellowship kind of spans a, a good breadth and spectrum of plastic surgery. So, Dr. Calvert, you want to give us the history of this fellowship?
0: Yeah, we, we, I think we sort of talked about it with Dr. Jenny we did, last week. Right. So, and, and you guys probably know it too, but it initially started with Grant Stevens, who had his fellowship for a, a lot of years. And then in 2014, we sort of merged Roxbury into it. So I was thinking about doing a rhinoplasty fellowship alone. And I spoke to Grant, like, how do I do this? He goes, you know, that's something that's not strong over here at Marina. What if we added Roxbury to the fellowship? And uh, that's when we had Emily Hartman and Ed- Edwin Kwan were the first Marina Rocks fellows. And since then, we've added Dr. Ash Gavami, which uh, Neil can tell us about what's going on over there. I'm sure it's very busy. Uh, yeah. you know, and so, and he, you know, and he's like like us. He does stuff that he repairs a lot of stuff too. I mean, wouldn't you say that uh, Dr. Gavami doing a lot of aesthetic surgery, but also a fair amount of reconstruction?
2: Absolutely, it's a total mix and. Of confluence of both uh, aesthetic and reconstructive techniques, like you mentioned, concepts, uh, and also preventing, I think, reconstruction. So, I think of what happens with a lot of rhinoplasty is that a primary rhinoplasty is performed, it's um, either inadequate or a little bit uh, maybe not as meticulous. And then the next person who comes in to revise it then has to really implore more reconstructive. Uh, techniques and concepts and I think if you have that in your toolbox which is one of the reasons why I went to consider this fellowship and I'm happy I'm here now is for that reason is you get a lot of those uh, tools in your arsenal and you use them and think about them even when you're doing the primary to avoid that reconstruction later for on
1: sure I think about that a lot in my breasts when I'm doing a primary breast augmentation I'm like how can I not get that last consult I just saw <laughs> 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 what do I have to do in this surgery to not get that Result, because yeah what you do that first time around is super important in, in preventing complications a thousand percent and so dr gavami he does noses he has a lot of noses um and he also does a lot of body contouring and, and bbl type stuff so again some recon some aesthetic
2: right, right? and we've done the full gamut we've yeah. done blepharoplasties with him i mean he's took it on taking on facelifts i mean so he does like like we all plastic surgeons enjoy the whole diversity we do it all. of yeah. everything
0: We do. And that's the thing. I mean, there was a a period of time where I was sort of criticized because I did loads of noses, but they said, oh, you know, you should just focus, just do noses. You know, that's kind of your thing. You're the rhinoplasty guy. And I just, I felt like I would probably get sort of tired of just doing noses. I mean, I really love plastic surgery. You know, I love the job. It's, it's fun. and, And it's, you know, do I love doing facelifts? I love doing breasts. I, I don't want to just be pigeonholed. I mean, right. even though I do a fair amount of rhinoplasty, I and mean, uh, it's probably eighty percent of what I do, maybe seventy five percent, but you know, it's not a hundred percent. I don't. I don't really think that I want it to be.
1: No, you, I think you have a pretty good practice. You do a little bit of everything. I think that's – I mean, who wants to just do the same surgery over and over again? I like think it's boring. Roland Daniel. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's so there are Ra- those. Roland
0: <laughs> really just wanted to do noses. He well, said then, he had yeah. the nose lust. All right. That's well, how he described do. it.
3: Well, that's why we all choose plastic surgery, right? So we can operate all over the body doing different things. I think a lot of surgery, you get pigeonholed into doing one operation over and over and over and over again. Um, whereas we get to have a completely different operation, even if it's the same operation. It's different because of a different patient. It's different because of that person. you get pigeonholed yeah. into doing just one operation, it's kind of counter to what brought you into plastic <laughs> surgery in the first place. It's true. I agree.
1: You kind of go head, head to toe. But let's round out our faculty that's here at Roxbury because we have yes. a few. We've
3: got a few. <laughs>
0: so, uh, Dr. Step, you've worked with Dr. Chopra.
3: Dr. Chopra, uh, the master of both uh, breast implant illness, uh, on-block capsulectomy, and implant removal, and the deep plane facelift, uh, the first things that he tells you when you arrive, is like, I do two operations. I do on block capsulectomies and I do deep plane facelifts and I'll make you good at both of them. <laughs> and he is not wrong. I've done so many of those with him and he's such a patient, thoughtful teacher and really, really knows his stuff. So he's made me really confident in both of those operations. I had never seen or done a deep plane facelift. We were disciples of, uh, the high SMAS types of facelift and seeing the, how that operation works and what it does for patients, it's really been educational from him, so there's that um, there's uh, Nate Villanueva, a.k.a. Uncle Nate a former
0: fellow uh, a former fellow, a a former former fellow, fellow yep.
3: who is so thoughtful and talented at liposuction which is something, you know, when you're coming from residency lipo is kind of the last thing of the operation that you want to do and you're oh god, here we go And you're doing it with, you know, manual lipo. Well, I really like it now that I have a power assist liposuction. Ah. (laughs) But, you know, even, you know, a lot of residencies, Neil had this too, we have chief resident clinics where you're doing a lot of aesthetic surgery um, and lipo is a part of it. And I I would say when I was a chief resident, the results I was the least impressed with of the things I was doing was liposuction. And there was, I didn't have a ton of refinement and skill with it. And it's just the time that I've spent with Nate the huge improvement in my thinking and planning for liposuction and even who can be a liposuction candidate. Uh, you know, we're doing abdominoplasties on these people that here we can make them look amazing with lipo. And Nate is such a good teacher about it that it's really been helpful from him.
0: Yeah. He, he is, he's really a, an artist. He I is. mean, the, the guy is just you know, he was, I mean, to the credit of the uh, UT Southwest program, when he got here, he was really, like both of you, he was really capable. Yeah, and and bringing that kind of background into this fellowship, I mean, it's like adding rocket fuel, oh, you yeah. know? And, and it is. And and that's the thing is, like, if you can already do the stuff well, and then you get to focus like you guys are, it yeah. makes for an incredible plastic surgeon, that's as our, as a lot of our former fellows are, including Nate.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And then we have Doctor Orden, who's in and out a little bit. He's not. He comes. But I
3: love that man. He's, <laughs> man who does? I love Doctor Orden. He's I, the man. It's like it's like your grandpa hosted a TV show, uh, and he comes well, in I every mean, morning. That's you know, kind of Doctor Orden because exactly, he treats you he treats you like family right away. But he's also he's got that that the kind of TV energy and he comes in, good morning. How are you? Oh, I can't wait for this case. Doc, do you want to, what do you think about this? What do you think about this plan? I want to hear, you know, and I've had so much fun with him. Uh, and boy, he comes in like a whirlwind, but when he does, I mean, really talented, really knows his way around things. And,
1: and he's Man, ENT trained, he ENT and plastic, which yeah. is always interesting to get sort of a little bit different spin on approaching yeah. things. And for he's
3: sure. really experienced kind of the history of, of aesthetic plastic surgery. Oh, for sure. And the, you kind of hear his development and his thought process that came through seeing all these people we just have heard about or read about. And he worked with them and knew them. For sure. And uh, it's, he's wild. I love him, though. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, uh,
0: Dr. Gabay. Dr. Gibey, I don't know if you jumped in with him much, but I he have. is also uh he's also and he's I he's, mean he's a liposuction guru. I,
3: when I found out he was going to do awake liposuction and I was having these images of us doing, you know, revision awake liposuction like we used to do in our clinics and you know, it's const- <laughs> it's a very painful painful uncomfortable process yeah, and for the doctors for <laughs> I was I was already <laughs> tightened up, you know, I'm like all oh, this patient and I watched him do a full body liposuction on someone completely awake and she had the best time. Yeah. He's so professional at dealing with the patient while they're awake, which you know, it doesn't get talked enough about in surgeries that you know that we a, commonly a skill. do. Yeah. And and you know there's a lot of interaction that goes into that to making someone comfortable operating on them while you're awake. Right. Uh, and he did it. I've I've never seen a patient so happy and comfortable while having a giant awake procedure and he's just, he killed it. I can't believe, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So he's it was really impressive.
0: He has developed that skill. He, oh yeah. yeah. He
1: can do probably, he can probably do like anything awake. He could probably do a tummy tuck awake at this point. Yeah, he does a
0: lot of buckle fat awake He <laughs> <laughs> has a lot too. of buckle yeah.
1: fat. He does buckle uh, fat and liposuction awake. Um, yeah, and he's I'm, just, he's really good yeah. at it. His okay. patients uh, love it.
0: Yeah, not for me. I, I, I just, I really like them to be like out and comfortable, and I think it's just it's hard. You have to develop that skill. So hard <laughs> it is. It's really
1: hard. Patients come in and they're like, "So can I do this awake?" And I'm like, "Ah, you do can." You want to, I try and sell it like it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but you know you certainly can. I mean, no, I'll do whatever they want, and I'll make them as comfortable as possible for sure. But you know, it's uh, it is a little bit harder. You know, when you're yeah. doing an awake patient, for sure. He's
3: got a talent. So
0: who him. else at Roxbury, then? And obviously, the, the two of us have uh, been in there. I and, think and That rounds yeah, it out. I run I into the it. two of
3: you occasionally, okay, occasionally. Yeah, here and there. From time yeah. to we, time. We've done some rhinoplasty, <laughs> some facelifts. We've uh, encountered a few rhinoplasties. By the
0: way, the tummy tuck we did, amazing. I
3: already bounce a quarter off it, right?
0: Uh, I, I, like, okay, so I don't do a ton of tummy tucks. They tend to be on, like, my patients who already know me and, and then, like, my wife's friends yeah and so it, it's you know one two a month maybe or something like that but i do enough yeah but that one just looked great uh-huh. and she had a hernia the size of texas too oh, it, was yeah. really, it was bad
3: i was having uh flashbacks to uh, my general surgery time <laughs> and i was like well, well here we go but yeah uh, when we yeah. see bowel we're like when we see hmm. bowel i don't want to stay away from it yeah I don't, <laughs> that's that's more my wife's. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't around. get in Don't get involved with that. No, I'll
2: stay away from intestines. (laughs) So that's
0: good. And then over with uh, the Marina uh, Gavami
2: portion. So the way the fellowship is split up is that, yeah, one fellow for three months hovers here in the Roxbury Center. And obviously you just heard that there's a ton of amazing talent and faculty to learn from. And while the other fellow is basically bouncing between the Gavami office and the Grant Stevens office. But, you know, Grant Stevens, unfortunately, is officially a formally retired and his uh, yeah. Dr. Justin Perez has kind of picked up the team and carrying the team forward now. And it's also been awesome to work with a him. A
1: former fellow. Also. Yeah, <laughs> also
2: also that's right. A former Another fellow. Fellow, former fellow. Perez is, uh, yeah, he, he's, all,
0: and also a UT Southwest guy. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he is yeah. so
2: great to, to work from. And it's great to kind of have that young energy. And he brings a lot to the table and kind of really shows you what, or forecasts what starting practice would look like. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a, a skill that or something that for us to learn from, because learning from you guys, the masters is uh, impeccable, but it's also really hard to see the difference, the jump from where we are right now today to where hopefully we'll get to in 15, 20 years. But to see the, like the immediate, the, in the five year plan, I think with uh, Dr. Villanueva and Dr. Perez is really encouraging to see.
3: Yeah. Big time. They really turned out
2: well.
0: Yeah, and and you have, uh, you know, obviously Gavami's office is, you know, he's more my vintage. I think he's just a few years younger than me, and he's, you know, really got a very mature practice. He knows what he likes doing. He also knows what he doesn't like doing, so that that makes it very uh, easy to go. And and I think I have to say, like, getting uh, you guys involved into uh, Dr. Gavami's operation has been pretty seamless you know he's it's amazing yeah he's very into it and he's he's very excited about teaching the fellows and uh and you know he's like this isn't anything we need to be doing you know we don't need to have fellowships but from from our standpoint the uh ability to educate you guys is and and the really the privilege to educate high level plastic surgeons such as yourselves is is really it's empowering it's fun and it's great to watch you guys go out into the practice. I mean, think of the fellows that have come through here. Mm-hmm. They're they're on fire.
3: Well, and that was, you know, when you're investigating a fellowship, trying to figure out what are you, you know, what is this worth it for me? A great way to look at that is look at what the fellows who graduated are doing. Find their Instagrams, find find out what they're doing, try and look up the list and see what operations they're doing. Because there are a lot of fellowships out there where, you know, they they. they have maybe a, a great reputation, great fellows, but then you look it up and an art you know, for me I was interested in rhinoplasty, and this was a fellowship that was really known for a good rhinoplasty experience. And I looked at the fellows, the fellows from here are doing rhinoplasty and doing it well. Right away. For right sure. out into practice. Oh, there yeah. isn't this oh I'm gonna be doing, you know, in filler Botox and dog bite lacerations for the first, you know, five, <laughs> ten years and then I start maybe getting the odd rhinoplasty. I mean you can look up any of the history of these people there, there's rhinoplasties that look great on their page right now in a bunch of them. Yep. And, and same thing with any of the rest of the procedures we do. And it's, it's something you need to evaluate because if you're going to a place that has a very specific reputation and the fellows that graduate aren't doing those operations, did they learn them? Did, did they maybe get, you know, whatever experience they had in their fellowship? Are they scared off from doing that operation? But not the people from here. The people from here are doing high impact, really great looking aesthetic surgery. And I was like, if I can even learn halfway to get the results like that, then that would be what I would want to do.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm impressed with their results out of the gates. Yeah. Every year, I mean, I I mean they're, it, you know, I I feel like when they're with us, of, of course their fellow cases are going to turn out right, and of course we're going to help them. I mean, I just, I mean, even watching one of the resident cases recently where uh, we. I was on as an attending and I guess so was Chopra and then Nate was here and you were there. So this USC you know, resident yeah. has the... So he's doing chefs. the case on his patient yeah. that he recruited in that's in the resident clinic and he has you assisting. He's got Chopra, me, Nate in, in the OR with him like teaching. Like yeah. that, you know, but that's the key is and, and by the way, this is a... Uh, this is a plug for the resident and fellows clinic for anybody out there yes. who's thinking I, I can't afford the Beverly Hills plastic surgeon. Well, there we, is an option. We have option. Dr.
3: Nagengast has a few more weeks <laughs> for all of you out there that want to come and get the Nagengast experience. He's really talented. Yeah, he's really good. He and uh, he's, you know, he's going into craniofacial surgery. He's very likely going to be working in Nebraska. Um, and he gets it. He gets the aesthetic surgery part and that's been really fun to discuss cases and help him through his chief resident cuz I remember my evolution in chief resident cases and how it was scary at it's first it's so scary <laughs> and how there's you know but there's really a lot of learning to be done in those oh crap moments where you're midway through a case and you you sit back and are like wait what do i do next and yeah. he has the safety net of all these experts around him to to get through it and he's always safe, always set up in a good. And it helps that he's a safe, thoughtful plastic surgeon. But it's it's really a great experience for him, and it's been fun to kind of teach and yeah. not that I can teach any of uh, teach him anything. But uh, no, I think you, you know, can. No, you're, you're, you, yeah.
0: you both of Gentle you guys suggestion. came from. You know, I, I will tell you that as the fellowship director, you know, I get calls from the uh, attending surgeons that you guys work with, and both of you had. Uh, people that I respect tremendously not only send letters but make phone calls. And you know, I I really thought that some of the guys at NYU were going to cry that you were coming here because they were just so sad. They're like, you know, like, oh, he's, he's one of our best, you're taking <laughs> him away from us. <laughs> I was like, and uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, you know, Paul Sederna at Michigan like sees you as like one of his best buddies. I don't, I, I mean, he loved, loved training love you, but he said, you know, life. he just said, I, I think this guy is just. He's he's cut from different cloth and and that's true. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery podcast and want to get in touch with either Doctor Ravello or myself,